Hey, this is Tim from Kalamunda Church of Christ, and today I hope that this podcast blesses you. If you are wanting to know anything more about our beautiful church, why don't you hop online and head to our website at kalamunda.church. Father, that is our prayer this morning as we've gathered here, that it's really just about one person. One person gets all the glory. It's about one name, and that's you, Jesus. We thank you so much this morning that as we're singing, as we've sung, Lord, we just can't help but be thankful that you've turned us from darkness to light, from death to life, from hopelessness to hope, from sorrow to joy, from mourning to dancing. Lord, you've given us the reason, the purpose, and thank you, Father. Thank you for everything you've done. No song would be enough, but we just want to say we love you. We worship you this morning, worthy of all our praise. And Father, as we take these next few moments just to look into your word, I just thank you that I don't have a message this morning, but something from heaven to every heart here would receive something from you. No matter how you've walked in this morning, it doesn't matter. God's concerned with how you walk out. And he wants you to walk out full of his hope, joy, and life this morning. So I thank you for every person, Father, that you know. You know their address. You know what's going on in their life. And I thank you that you're going to speak to them in these next few moments. Everyone with faith said... Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. You guys just get better and better. Better and better. Love, love Marion's worship leading too. I love that. If you were here a few months ago, it was a long time ago, when Marion shared some of her testimony, you can tell why she worships with such passion, yeah? If you heard her story and what God's done in her life, and I just love it. It's awesome. Hey, my name's Brad. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to be with you this morning. And uh, I just want to, before I get into the word this morning, um, acknowledge that uh, Nathan is getting baptized today. So Nathan, do you want to come down? I'm going to pray a blessing over Nathan. Um, and uh, so Nathan's going to be getting baptized at Cottesloe Beach 12.30, anybody is welcome to come and join him. Nathan's granddad, John, and I will be baptising Nathan, so it's going to be a real privilege and privilege to do it, and just want to pray a blessing over you as your church family here. Um, and yeah, mate, it's so good the other day, we were just sharing about some of your journey and how God has confirmed things, and wow, God is doing amazing things in this young man's life. Would you just, yeah, reach out your hands if you're comfortable. We just pray for Nathan, Father, we thank you for this step that he is making, Lord. Lord, to publicly profess the private inner faith that he has in you, in baptism. Today, as he goes through those waters, Lord, we thank you that it will be a significant time in his life where he can look back upon, a memorial stone to look back upon and go, that was the day I went public for Jesus as Jesus went public for me. And so today, Father, we bless him as he goes through the waters of baptism to follow your example, Jesus. And we thank you that he is washed clean, white as snow, that he is a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we thank you, Father, that you've got plans and purposes for this young man's life, Father, that will never be the same again. And we just thank you that as he journeys from this moment on, Lord, that the best is yet to come. And everyone with faith said? Amen. Amen. Bless you, mate. So... Cottesloe Beach, 12.30. Uh, I couldn't talk him into changing to a heated pool, so we are going to the beach, but I thought it was a good idea. But now going right out there. Hey, baptism, if you don't know, it's not... Baptism doesn't um, make you become a Christian. It doesn't save you. Baptism is... uh, the, The significance of it, it is because you are a Christian, you get baptized. It's called believer's baptism. It's believers who get baptized. 
And um, it's like the wedding ring. You wear a wedding ring because you know that you were married. At some stage, there was a ceremony that took place, and there's evidence of that. Baptism is like the wedding ring of your salvation that you put on, and it's a public display of a personal faith that Nathan has, and so I'm excited today. If you're interested in baptism, if you haven't been baptized, it's something that you're interested in, we'd love to talk to you. Um, so come and see us, and we'd love to talk about that. Cool? Cool. If you've got your Bibles this morning... Um, they get most of the scriptures will be on the screen, some won't, but I want to talk this morning, we're at an interesting time, or actually this week is an interesting week because we've just finished a whole lot of stuff about our Faith Promise series, you know, and so we're, we're in between what we would, as a family church here, yeah, what we would talk about and so we're moving into a new series in two weeks time after the Kids Church Takeover on the book of Nehemiah and I'm really looking forward to getting into a book of the Bible, we've done some topical themes and things like that but we're going to go into Nehemiah is a powerful book and I'd encourage you to get into it and have a read and get ready for what God's going to do in and through our journey. But for this morning I wanted to talk a little bit about and just revisit the, the, the subject of our vision here at a church and God's vision for your life if you're here this morning. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, God loves you, no matter how you come in, there's a vision that God has for your life and also a vision that he has for our church. It says this in Proverbs 29, 18. It says, where there is no vision, no revelation of God and his word, the people are unrestrained, but happy and blessed is he who keeps the law of God. Another translation, where there is no vision, the people perish. People perish. Um, and, and there was a famous lady called Helen Keller that said this quote, and Helen Keller was um, blind and deaf, and she was the first deaf-blind lady many years ago to uh, earn a Bachelor of Arts degree in, the, in America. And she said this, the only thing being worse than being born blind is to have sight with no vision. That's a powerful statement from a blind lady. The only thing worse than being born blind is to have your sight but have no vision because sight is a faculty of the eyes, vision is a faculty of your heart. Vision is more important what you see with your eyes closed for your life than what you see with your eyes open. In fact, if you are led by what you see with your eyes open, you walk in the things of the world and circumstances will dictate to you. But if you're led by vision, the Bible says the righteous shall walk by faith. Faith, trusting God, faith, the things that you do not see. When they lead your life, you walk to the beat of a different drum. You're in tune with a different kingdom. And this kingdom is not limited with humanness and all that sort of stuff. We've got God Almighty on our side. Amen? So it's to have vision. Vision is powerful. The poorest person in the world is not the person with no money, but the person with no vision for their life. And the good news of the gospel is that God wants you to have a vision for your life. The first thing he wants to give you when you become a Christian is a brand new vision for who you are and where you're heading. And that changes everything. It says, where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. I know that's so true of my life. I'm never more disciplined than when I've got a good vision. But when there is no vision, you just aimless. See, everybody ends up somewhere, but few people end up somewhere on purpose. And so it's like when I've got a vision maybe to get fit, so I join a gym, and who knows, that's not really going to help if you just join the gym. Many people come to church, but it doesn't mean you're growing. You've got to engage and engage and get their muscles working and moving. 
And when you've got that vision, you keep restrained. You talk to an athlete, and an athlete is so restrained in what they eat and what they do. Why? It's not because it's because they're not aimless. They've got a vision to win the prize. The vision, people that have no self-discipline are suffering from no vision. It's the vision that causes us to live in a certain way. When you've got clear vision, you know what to say yes to and what to say no to. And so vision is a powerful, powerful thing for our life. Um, and God wants you to, uh, to have a clear mental picture of what could be in your life and be fueled and motivated by a conviction that it should be in your life. That's the thing. That's what vision, the definition is. It's a, it's a, it's a clear mental picture of what could be a preferred future, but it's fueled and motivated by a conviction that it should be. And when you've got God on the inside of you, you can have that conviction that he's got, as Jeremiah 29, 11 says, he's got plans to give you a hope and a future. That's good news. The gospel actually means good news. So I want to speak a little bit about our vision as a church and where we're heading, but a few things for your life this morning. Um, because God is in the habit of giving people fresh new visions. Maybe you need a revision for your life. I remember when he talked to Abraham. Remember he talked to Abraham and he said, I'm gonna, you're going to have descendants as numerous as the, the sky, the stars in the sky. In fact, he said, come outside. And he walked outside and he said, look up and, and count the stars. And you just cannot count them. And he said, I want you to have that kind of a vision. I want you to be able to see, have a picture. This is what I want to do in your life. And for Abraham, who knows that everything in his body and his age and his circumstances said, no, that's impossible. And God's got some visions for our church that are beyond possible. I thought seeing 100, over $150,000 pledged at a faith promise giving for the missions of our church, I would have thought that was impossible a few weeks ago. But through you, you seeking God and through the generosity of this church and through faith, that's what we've seen. And as I've said, it's not about the figure, it's about the faith. And so God has got great plans for Kalamunda and where we're heading. And... Um, Jesus even had a vision. The Bible says in Hebrews, I think I've got it on the screen, my next slide, it says this, therefore, this is uh, after talking about all the people that have gone before us, the, the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, all the people of faith, says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us do something. Let us throw off everything that hinders, so that's that vision, let us throw off the things that get us distracted and the sin which so easily entangles. Who knows that sin easily entangles? I thought I was, you know, am I the only one that has sin easily entangled my life? It, it doesn't, it's not, you don't have to try hard to find sin. You don't have to go looking for it. It's because we're in a sinful world and we're all bent. You don't have to teach your kids to lie. There's no lying class in primary school, but they just, they blame other people. It's just our bent. We're sinners in need of saving. And so it easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And that word perseverance, I felt God say to my heart this week, just in my heart and preparing, Brad, what I want to do at Kalamunda is going to take patience. Yeah, I didn't like hearing it either. No, I was like, <laughs> I don't like patience. I hate lining up for anything. And so, but I felt that in my heart. I want to share that with you, that God does a whole lot of stuff really quickly over a long period of time. That's how God works sometimes. And it's going to take endurance for the race that he set before us and patience. And it says this, Now fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, this is what I want you to see, his vision, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before Jesus, there was a vision of joy before him. And you know, you can go through pain if you have a reason. Why? 
going through pain is really hard when you just don't have any whys. But going through pain, Jesus endured the cross. Why? Because there was joy set before him, which is people like Nathan getting baptized and coming on fire for the Lord, people getting saved, people becoming delivered, people getting a plan for their life from God, people being forgiven. The joy set before him, he said, I'm going through the cross. And if it was only just one person on earth that would choose him, he'd do it all again. And he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I believe Jesus has a vision for our church, for our lives, personally and corporately. And here at Kalamunda, we've been saying one of our core values, I was going to bring our little, little thing. If you're walking in, you'll see our sort of four key vision statement points about our church. But I'm going to hit on them a little bit this morning. And, but our key thing is that we really want to, want to have the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. And if you're sick of me saying that, I'll probably say it again next week. But that is so true. It's the main thing, and that is a core part. And what is the main thing? It's what Jesus endured. It's the cross. The main thing is the gospel. The main thing, and we've done series this year on, you know, we've done the spiritual gifts, and we've gone deep into some of the gifts and the fruit, and we've looked at uh, different questions that people ask. And we will go into different things all the time. But this morning, I just want to revision us that the main thing is the cross of Christ, and the cross and resurrection of Jesus brings a new vision for our life, if that makes sense. Um, Paul said it this way. He said, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul thought that. So I'm going to take a little walk this morning around the cross. And I want you to come with me on this little walk and see what we see. And I've got about four different F words. And these are all good F words you can say in church. These are really good. And, and um, so these are four. You won't forget these words. They all start with F, as I said. And they're powerful words that I want to hear spoken all the time around here. And uh, these are what they are as we go for a walk around the cross. The first one, because if you haven't been to the cross, you need to go. You need to go. It needs to be on every bucket list. I heard the story I'll quickly of John Maxwell. You know John Maxwell, the author? And uh, leadership coach and has the, like, the biggest leadership um, coaching in, in the world, or just about, I think, especially into business and stuff. Anyway, um, you've got to go to the cross. Anyway, his dad is 96 years old at the time when I heard this story. He was a bit older, and he had, had to go into a, a nursing home. And he said to his son, John, he says, look, I don't mind going into the home. The only problem I've got is that it's full of old people. <laughs> and he just said, Dad, yeah, because well, yeah, he, he just doesn't see himself as old. And he, just and he said, he went in the home and so what he did was he, he met up, John, a few weeks later. And he says, oh, guess what I'm doing? I've got a new job here at the home. And he says, what? And he goes, yeah, I'm the chaplain. And John goes, how did you become the chaplain? He'd been a preacher and a pastor. And he goes, well, I looked around and there wasn't one. So I appointed myself as the chaplain. <laughs> and then he started church services. And he met up with John again another time. He goes, John, I'm having difficulty with my church services. And he said, what's the problem? He says, we're packed out. I've got a two morning services now. And we've got an afternoon service. And I said, I think we're going to have to go satellite, he said to his son, John. Because we can't keep up. And he's just had this vision. And he's like 96, 97 years old. And he said to John, he says, I've decided to name my church. He says, what did you name the church, Dad? And he said, the first church of your last chance. <laughs> True story. So in a way, was just, you know, he need, these people were close to entering eternity. So he's like, he had a vision. And he said to John, in, at 96-year-old, he said, I think God's got more in front of me than what's behind me. And that's vision. That's the power of vision in your life. I think it's so cool. And he was taking people to the cross. And we're going there this morning. John chapter 19, verse 25 says this. What does the vision of, what does the cross mean? Number one, uh, near the cross Jesus, of Jesus stood his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. 
When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, notice the language, it's all around the F word family. Um, He said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. I just love the thought that when Jesus is dying on the cross, what's on his heart, what his vision is, the joy set before him is family. And he's looking after his mum. Isn't that cool? Oh, I think that is so cool. And he's like, here's my mum. And he's just making, you know, he's not, he's not up there going, man, I'm just going through something right now. This is terrible. But no, he's actually outward focused. He's more than a Sunday. Eh? He's more than the cross. He's looking at others and how can he how can minister in that space. And I think when he's on there, he's saying, I'm not dying for a club. I'm not dying for an organization. I'm dying because I see a family. I want, the gospel, as I've said, is God getting his kids back. And we are children of God. And our vision here is to have a family church. We are a family church. And that means generations. And we want all generations celebrated and engaged. And in our vision, we have an intentional focus on the young generation. And that's for a specific reason. is because if you can go to a lot of churches, and especially when I was doing itinerant speaking around the Wheat Belt and all the other places, there was a common denominator in every church. And I mean this with great respect. But the common denominator was grey hair or no hair. And I mean it with great respect. People were getting older, and I would come in with a fresh sense of fire and vision, but there was not an appetite for the next generation. We wanted to keep it how we had it. And so here at Calamunda, we want to be flexible and movable. And that doesn't mean that an older generation is not needed. We need your wisdom. We need your guidance. We need your mentoring. We need everything of every generation. But we're family, yeah? And in a family, the biggest thing about families that I know they're not perfect. So this will never be a perfect church. If just me and Sky came, it still wouldn't be a perfect church. But we'll get close, wouldn't we, babe? <laughs> anyway, so it's a family that is on God's heart. And, you know, it says that all who received Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. The next thing, so family, the next thing I think God's vision for your life is to become part of God's family. You know, you might have an earthly, we all have family, but being a part of the family of God is so cool because wherever you go, wherever you are, you've got the relations. (laughs) They're everywhere. And it's such a blessing and it's such a powerful thing to be part of the family of God. We've been so blessed through our journey of of ups and downs. And when I was out of work for 18 months and we're in the hospital journey and things like that, it was the family of God that supported us that sustained us, that helped us, that nurtured us, that prayed for us, that were with us, that spoke faith to us. You need the family of God. And we want to be a family here where everybody is welcome. It says next thing, the next uh, verse in 28, John 19 says this, later knowing that everything had, been for f- had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked, it, soaked a sponge in it put the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, and I think we sung it this morning, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I want you to notice that Jesus gave up his spirit. Jesus' life was not taken from him. He was not murdered. He was an offering. 
He gave his life. He could have called 10,000 angels to come and do something and make a difference. He gave his life for you and me. It was an offering. It wasn't being taken from him. And as he was giving it, he said, it is finished. And that, that it is finished is in the Greek there is just one word, telestiae or something like that. And, and that one word of the day would be spoken of by bankers. And bankers would stamp that word that he spoke over payments and debts that were debts that were paid in full. Jesus was saying, it is what it is paid in full. You see, you and I were born, and when we were born to the address of our life came the sin bill. We are all sinners in need of saving. The Bible says that for all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And you know, I really believe that we don't need to preach hellfire and brimstone, but rather it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. Most people don't need a revelation that they're a sinner. They just start breathing. Like we understand, like most people don't need to be, some do, some are self-righteous. You know what self-righteous is? It's like, well, if there is a God, and if I have to one day stand before him, I'll be right by myself. All the things I've done, the good outweigh the bad. And that's self-righteous. That's saying you can earn your way. And God says, no, 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 for, the, for, for all have sinned and fallen short of my perfect standard. But that's why Jesus came. And that's why when he said, it is finished, he said, they can't pay this bill. You ever had a bill you can't pay? Yeah, this is the big bills. Well, this is one bill no one can pay. And Jesus was saying, I'm paying it with my own blood. And he gave his life to say it is finished and we are forgiven, stamped in his blood. The Bible says, he who knew no sin, perfect Jesus, became sin so we could become the righteousness of God. And my heart here is that we are a family that are forgiven and forgiving. Forgiven and forgiving because forgiven people naturally have it in them to forgive people. I just think of my own life. Man, I, I, I don't struggle with unforgiveness. Um, we all have, may have a little struggle with that, but it only takes a few minutes to think back upon Brad's journey. It only takes a few minutes to know what he saved me from. It only takes a few minutes to realize how much he's forgiven me and given me a brand new start and a fresh life to go, man, how can I not forgive you? You should see me. But uh, that's, what, that's the, the family of God that's been forgiven will forgive. And that's what we're nurturing around here is a family that's not perfect, but where forgiveness is key. Our greatest need was forgiveness, and that's why he sent us a saviour. The next one I love in Galatians is this is around the cross. This isn't, isn't at the cross, but the Bible says that freedom... It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not, be, not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't go back into religion. That's a good sermon here. Yeah, don't go back into religious stuff. Don't get religious. This is a non-religious church here, hey? Somebody said to me, one of my friends that's not a Christian, he says, Brad, I just don't like organized religion. I said, you should come with me because nothing's organized. <laughs> you would love what we do. But freedom isn't disorganization. Freedom is freedom, a true freedom. And that's why uh, I just love our worship team and as they explore just worshiping freely. And there's a worship night coming up on the 8th of October, Sunday night. And that'll just be free, a freer space than a Sunday to worship and pray and seek God. But freedom is not so much just about that. It's about seeing people set free. God wants you to be free. He said, when the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And I want to see my life be more free indeed, in action, in my life, not be gripped by addictions, not be gripped by bad habits and wrong mindsets. And so when Jesus was on the cross, he's dying for our freedom. And Kalamunda, we want to be a place where you are free to be you. 
And that means you not, might not have it all together. If you do, I don't know, become the pastor, because I don't. Uh, but we don't all have it all together. And so being free to be able to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, the Bible says, like, to work it out, to work out what God's worked in you. And so that freedom is so important. I heard the story of a father and a son driving down the road and they're driving down and in comes the window is this bumblebee, this, this bee that was just, this son was freaking out because he was deathly allergic to this type of bee and the bee's buzzing around and so he's sweating, he's freaking out and he's all terrified and he's like, dad, 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 the bee, the bee, like if it stings me, I'm going to die. And so the dad reaches across and just gets his hand out and just grabs that bumblebee and squeezes his hand really tight. And the son takes a big sigh of relief. Thanks, Dad. And then he opens his hand and he lets it go. And the bee starts buzzing again. He's buzzing around. And, and the son freaks out. He says, Dad, Dad, don't let him go. Like, he's free. He's free again. Let, don't let him go. And the, the father looks to the son and says, No, son, it's okay. Look. And he shows him his hand. And he had taken the sting of the bee. So the bee could fly around and threaten him, but it had no power. It had no sting. And when Jesus stretched out his hands and said, it is finished, through the hands, when his, the nails went through, he shows the scars and he says today, I've taken the sting of sin and death. And though the devil may try and come at you, he can't touch you. You're in the hand of God. That's freedom. Suddenly the trip, the, the journey for the son, he can have all these things going on around him, but he can be in total freedom and peace because he knows the enemy has no power. Like I read on Facebook this week, there's a, for a ship, it's okay to be surrounded by water. There's nothing wrong with water. The ships don't have anything against the water. In fact, they use water to get to where they need to go. But the only problem is when the water gets on the inside. And maybe you're here this morning and some of the things around you are starting to get on the inside of you. And that's when you start to sink with anxiety and fear and depression. And Jesus says, I want to see you free. I want to set you free from that stuff. I don't want you to be chained down. And that's the power of the cross. I go back to the cross regularly as someone who has been through and suffered with incredible anxiety to the point of going into a hospital where they want to hospitalize me overnight. I know what it's like to really be wound up and knotted up on the inside and have this anxiousness where you wake up in the morning and all you can think about is, can I make it through the day? And God taught me through that time. He said, you know, when I was at the, on the cross, Brad, when Jesus was on the cross, he took something from you. I said, what was that? He said, he took your anxiety on the cross. So don't ever say it's yours. You do not have anxiety. You have perfect peace. Because he swapped it. The cross is the great exchange. He took my anxiety to give me his perfect peace. And the Bible says, he whose mind is stayed on you, he will keep in perfect peace. So I started speaking the truth. Now, did my circumstances change straight away? No, but my mind started to believe the truth. And when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. It's the truth you know that brings freedom, not the truth you think. You've got to believe God's truth. And the more I meditated on it, read it, spoke it, believed it, I'm at perfect peace, a perfect peace that God wants us to have. doesn't mean go through hard times, of course, get wound, get shocked and think I'm still a human, but I've got perfect peace. And in fact, a third of me isn't human. A third of me is vacuum, sealed, packed, Holy Spirit. Amen, Helen knows that one. Yeah, Holy Spirit, a third of me is already not going to get any better. It's already Holy Spirit on the inside of me. And now my soul and body, whole nother sermon. Where are you going, Brad? All right, freedom, forgiveness. The next F word is, where are we up to? That's right. This is a place of freedom, freedom to preach for three hours. All right, not really. 
The fourth one is around the cross. We see this. Yeah, I love this one. On the cross, who knows that when Jesus died on the cross, there was two crosses next to him. There were two criminals next to him, both deserving of a future of hell, of eternity away from Jesus, these sinners. And the story goes that one of them on one side was mocking Jesus and saying, hey, if you're the son of God, you could get us down from here. And the other one's like, he's like, mate, you can't talk to Jesus like that. Like we're up here getting what we deserve. He's done nothing wrong. And this guy said this word, he said, then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked at this criminal on a cross, dying and deserving of death. And he looked at him with eyes of love and compassion, I believe. And he looked at him and he said, today, because you've looked to me and trusting in me, and he knew who he was, he knew this is the Messiah, today you'll be with me in paradise. He quickly got down and went and got baptised. No, he didn't. That's not in the Bible and it never happened and it can't. So baptism isn't for salvation. It's from, unfortunately, this guy didn't get to do it, but he's still in heaven today. Jesus promised that he would be there and that his future had changed. And God is, as he's at the cross, he's about changing futures. You know, you can't change your past. You can't change what happened last week or last year. But I tell you what, you can trust God to change your future and start from today. I love the definition that Charles Finney said. He said, revival is nothing more or nothing less than a new beginning of obedience to God. Revival is nothing more than a new beginning of obedience to God. And I love that thought that our future, God changed this guy's future to hope to, um, in him. One of the greatest things is that you, when you come to Jesus, one of the greatest things about going to the cross and embracing what he did for you there is that you never walk through life alone again. And if I could speak to the vision of our church here is a family, a community where people may not be friends with everybody, but everybody has a few somebodies. Everybody has a community, a connection where you're growing and where you a safe place to, to grow and to become all that God created you to be. And I'm excited for what God's going to do in that space in the future. You know, when Jesus was dying on the cross, the Bible says the temple in the curtain, can't temple, the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. You know, that, that curtain was so thick, two horses pulling on each side could never break it. And from top to bottom, and that temple, as Claire was reading this morning, that was uh, all about getting access to God's presence, having access into his holy of holies. And Jesus is dying, and as his body's uh, breaking for us, the temple broke down and said, you know what, now there is no more barrier between man and God. Not just the priest going in once a year, but anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and you can have relationship with me. See, that's what it is. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to restore a relationship between you and God. As I finish on this point, the team can come up with the last word this morning. Um, I want to challenge you. Does God have your future? Does God have, do you have a vision for the future? A vision for the future is so, so powerful. People often say in churches, oh, God's got a great plan for your life. But the real question is, do you have a life for God's plan? Do you, will you give him your life? John Maxwell, that guy I was talking about, one thing that changed his life dramatically was when he was very young, he was given a book by, I think it, I think it was his auntie or grandma, and the book on the title said, The Greatest Story Ever Told. And he was so excited to get this book and it said the greatest story ever told. And he opened up the book and it was blank. And he went back to his nana, whoever it was that gave it to him and said, 
thought this was the greatest story ever told. It's got no words in it. And she said, no, that's, I want you to write your story. You have the opportunity to write your story. And from this moment on today, you have an opportunity to write your future and to let God take the pen and write something so amazing and so magnificent that he gets all the glory and all the praise. A vision for the future is so important. I am... with permission from my family to share this story and have to pay it in dollars, thanks to Rod Tealy giving that idea to my children about when I tell stories about them, per illustration, how many dollars I pay. But I'll never forget when we're in hospital and, um, and I just remember as uh, we're going through a really hard time and not knowing what the future would hold. And this, this, this lady come in, Pastor Barb, you've probably heard me say her name before, and she'd visit us each couple of weeks and she said, Brad, she said, um, have you got a vision for Blazer's future? I said, yeah, sort of. She said, I know you see what you see in a hospital room and you see things that are not good and you see all the cords and all the stuff. She says, but can you see him running any sports carnival? And I said, no, but I'm going to start. And I started getting a mental vision, a mental picture, a clarity of seeing him running in his sports carnival that year. And I, I, from what I was seeing, it looked impossible. And I'll never forget <laughs> when we got out of hospital, and for that short season before we had to go back, the sports carnival happened to be on in September. And there's Blaze. Sorry, mate, but you were coming like last. And uh, he's running and running. But there's me down there. And you would have thought he was winning an Olympic gold medal. I was just screaming. I was crying. I was so thankful because I had seen this. I had a vision of this. I saw what God could do and I trusted him and I got that picture and I said, that's the vision. I believe God's got. He will run and not grow weary. He will walk and not be faint. He will mount up on wings like eagles. Come on. Those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And I saw it with my natural eyes because I had first seen it with my hard eyes. And I want to ask you this morning, what do you need to see with your hard eyes this morning? Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in business. Maybe it's in family or finances. Maybe it's, maybe it's your own future. You're here and you don't know Jesus. Maybe it's that addiction gone. Maybe it's free from that thing that haunts you in the past, that thing that happened that you can't change that it happened, but God can heal what happened. What do you need to see with your eyes closed is more powerful than what you'll see with your eyes open this morning. And the last word, the last word to be able to see it is the word that Jesus says is follow. Follow. See, the cross of Christ divided two thieves 2,000 years ago and it divides people today. We want it to unite people, but the fact of the matter is Jesus divides people in a way ones that will choose to say yes and follow him and ones that will choose to reject him and say I don't need that I don't need forgiveness I'm okay on my own he is the only one the only religion so to speak that has come back from the dead we don't worship a a dead God a image God a brazen God we worship the God whose bones were never found who has been risen from the dead and he says hey now will you follow me and he made this statement, he said he called the crowd to him. He had a habit of getting crowds and then dwindling them down a bit at times. And they said to his disciples, sorry, and he said this, whoever wants to be a Christian, and now I know it says be my disciple, but there's no difference between a disciple and a Christian. Whoever wants to become a Christian and whoever wants to follow me must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me in the gospel will save it. 
and this sobering word that he said here, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What good is it to get everything the world can offer? What good is it to have everything money can buy? What good is it even to have a happy, healthy family, but lose and forfeit your very soul? All them things are good and we're not against them, not against making money. We just did an awesome pledge, not against that stuff. But what good is everything if you're still thirsty for the living God, if you're still dying of starvation for the only thing that really satisfies, and that's a relationship with the God who made you and knows you and loves you. And he says, if you want to follow me, Take up your cross. And if you were there that day and you heard him say this, you knew what people were doing when they carried crosses. You knew if someone's carrying a cross out of Jerusalem, they're going to die. They're going, and Jesus wasn't saying, I want you to physically die, but I want you to kiss your old life goodbye and repent and turn from that and follow me. And he says, if you truly follow me, you'll truly find your life. And it was the greatest decision I ever made as a 10-year-old and recommitted as about a 19-year-old. And the greatest thing ever that even through the ups and downs and the, the valleys and the highs of life, there's only one constant in my life and his name's Jesus. And there's many here that can testify. And we've got such wonderful people in our church with stories of how Jesus has been the anchor, the rock of your life. So I want to leave you with those thoughts this morning that the vision here and the vision for your life is the same, that God has for us as a church to be a to be a family, to be a place where things are finished and forgiven for people's lives. They get a brand new start. They get a brand new future where they choose. This is a place with a culture of people getting opportunity to choose to follow Jesus. So I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment. And uh, we're going to have a prayer team after the worship that generally come down and stand around on the, usually the sides. And once um, Marion dismisses us to coffee, feel free to just come down or come down during the song even. We'd love to pray for you. Maybe for the first time you were saying, hey, Brad, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want that free gift that you're talking about. It's a free gift and following him, just it's your whole life to turn to him. But the salvation is just receiving what he's already done. Would you bow with me and close your eyes if you're comfortable to? So Father, I thank you this morning for being in your house this morning, for hearing your word, your gospel. We thank you, Father, that you have a vision for every person here, a good vision. One not of harm, not one of rejection, but Lord, a vision of a hope and a future. I pray for people here this morning that maybe uh, don't know you, Lord, that today would be a day their heart would say, hey, Jesus, I want to receive that forgiveness. I'll, or I want to find out more. Father, I thank you for all, all people here that are maybe following you right now. But Father, there's some things going on and they're feeling trapped and it feels like the future's uncertain. And they need a revision. I pray for a fresh vision in people's hearts and lives of what you're saying, of what you're promising, that they'll see that picture, Father, before, with their heart before they see it with their eyes.